All right, gentlemen, let's have a word of prayer, and now we'll get into our, our lesson this morning. Father, a best-case scenario, Father, for the universe, notwithstanding our, my protests and my sins sometimes, is what Psalm 30, uh, 93 excuse me, tells us, that the Lord reigns, that uh, you're clothed in majesty, that you, Father, have clothed and girded yourself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. And let us just throw anchor in that promise today, in that fact. That is absolute reality. Regardless of the chaos going on around us, the utter evil, and many of our political rulers right now uh, enthusiastically endorsing the so-called Respect for Marriage Act, Monday, Tuesday, whatever it was, the Disrespect for Marriage Act. Father, we know that you're on the throne, and you, you laugh in derision at those who would dare oppose you. And we thank you, Jesus, for your tenderness to die on the cross for sinners. May many uh, of our rulers turn to you and be convicted. May we walk in a manner worthy of you, fearing the Lord, fearing you at all times. Thank you for these men. Uh, we pray for uh, the other men who are peeling off or maybe having a harder time getting here or whatever circumstances that you would strengthen them, that we wouldn't give up. Uh, we would keep pressing on. Even something like getting up early in the morning for a men's study can be a, a reflection and indicative of the rest of our walk and our zeal to persevere. We know that when we get to heaven, oh, how worth sacrifices, how they will be and have been. Father, when we're with you in glory, and there's no more sin and death. In the meantime, Father, thank you for this food. Thank you for Tyler, for his sacrifices, for bringing it. Strengthen the brothers. Help me only to say what is uh, conforming to your word and useful for the encouragement of us as men in this fraternity. It's in the name of the Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, brothers. So uh, we did. We spent a couple weeks uh, in our masculinity study on uh, lesson five on masculinity and the cross. Um, so, so that was uh, sort of our. I think we've kind of built our foundation now. We've done masculinity and in introduction, masculinity Genesis one through three, looking at the design of men that uh, God designed men and women as good. Gender is not fluid, it's fixed. Gender is not uh, determined by the creature, but ordained by the creator. Uh, it's blasphemous and sin and rebellion to uh, try to recreate that or redetermine that. Uh, furthermore, the creation of men is not a bad thing, notwithstanding um, you know, popular opinion in society right now, at least in the West. Uh, it glorifies God. And so we're going to hold the line. This is a day where, you know, this isn't first century Rome, like uh, the times of uh, when the scriptures, at least the New Testament, were written. But nevertheless, it's a time to be courageous. And it's not a time to be silent uh, about these fundamental truths from God's word. Um, as we saw, whatever it was, Monday or Tuesday, uh, where the Senate over the, had a overwhelming majority to pass the Disrespect for Marriage Act. Um, we understand that though it was called the Respect for Marriage Act, it's a total slap in the face of God seeking to redefine what he alone has the prerogative to define. Um, so we, we repudiate uh, any such idea uh, in that act. 
and uh, in all grace and gentleness, but nevertheless courage. In uh, biblical masculinity, we must speak righteousness and do so in love and courage and hold the line in these days. Amen? Um, so today's lesson, speaking of which, uh, masculinity and embracing discomfort. Um, <laughs> this isn't a lesson, you know, we talked about doing this uh, a couple months ago. Uh, this isn't a lesson, you know, to to say something like, well, you know, you, you need to like, for the sake of hurting yourself and harming yourself, you know, you need to man up and do that. that, that that's not what is happening in masculinity and discomfort. I trust we'll see that in a minute. Um, but to introduce uh, our lesson, as we've been talking about, we've been observing some of these rights of masculinity across uh, various cultures, especially non-Western cultures, not coincidentally, uh, in my arrogant opinion. Um, we've looked at some uh, African tribes. We've looked at the, what the Spartans would do, some uh, South Pacific uh, Polynesian tribes. And today's, come, today's uh, it's not in your note, uh, comes from uh, some, one of my favorite cultures uh, that I wish in another life maybe uh, I would like to be one or visit or live there. <laughs> but this comes from those individuals who have somehow... Uh, since probably shortly after the, t after the Tower of Babel, have survived, and not just survived, but thrived uh, on the steppes, S-T-E-P-P-E-S, of Central Asia, uh, the Mongols and the Kazakhs. Uh, you read about the history of these guys, and these were, they were, they were a man's man. <laughs> uh, horses, hunting, you know, meat, uh, <laughs> You know, fighting, uh, just a difficult and a, uh, a brutal life. You know, the Mongols, what they used to do, this is just besides the fact for fun. I'm probably going to use this as a sermon illustration, so I apologize if I uh, do a rerun in, in the future. But for food, uh, some of you histo historians and equestrian people might know this. What did they used to do with their horses to get like a shot of food and nutrients when they're out there. I mean, it gets cold in Central Asia and windy. Anybody know what they used to do with their horses? They didn't eat them. Yeah, they'd cut the, they'd cut the veins of their horses open and just, you know, it was like a, like a fountain, blood on tap, you know, <laughs> a quick drink. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of nutrients in blood, and then they'd, they'd bind their, the veins of their horses right back. Oh, the horse is a big animal. There's a lot of blood in there. Hey, Derek. Uh, you might have to come around. I mean, if you don't squeeze in, either way. <laughs> either way, bro. Uh, would you go through the MMA? Go through the, yeah, the MMA and come out this door. Oh, is it? Anyhow. So, a rite of passage, that wasn't a rite of passage, that was just like a normal thing, you know, instead of carrying a water bottle, you have a horse, and you cut its vein open, talk about a camelback, full effect, a nice warm drink, as it was 40 below in the Gobi Desert, you know, while you're trying to fight off uh, the local tribe. Um, so, uh, Marco Polo, uh, interesting, I mean, that guy had some adventures, uh, 1271 to 1225, traveled the Silk Road. And, and became like a, a diplomat, didn't he, historian Ian? Became like a diplomat for the Mongol Empire. Yeah. Um, and he was like a, a translator or whatever. Well, he left, he left Europe. You know, he was 
a young man, probably, I don't know, in his late teens or something like that, and came 25 years later. And in his memoirs, he writes of this fascinating rite of passage from the Kazakhs and the Mongols. And uh, you, you've heard of it. Uh, it's called, I'm going to mispronounce it if you're a Mongolian or uh, Kazakh, I, I apologize. But it's called Burkuchi. Anybody ever heard of Burkuchi? Um, so he observed that what, what they would do is for a young man to proceed into all the rights and privileges and responsibility of manhood, uh, he would have to learn how to hunt with an eagle. With an eagle. Uh, guns and gunpowder were still pretty new and less refined in those days, pretty dangerous. Um, some of the essential technology for rifles hasn't, hadn't quite been refined. Gunpowder had been and hand cannons and like arrow cannons, they called them. But what would happen is uh, a, a young man's father, uh, survival, this wasn't for glamour. For survival, they would get these eagle chicks. Whoever the first guy was to do this was, I mean, I, I'd like to meet that guy. And figure out, like, how'd you think of that? They get these, and you've seen these eagles, these gold eagles, they're gigantic. I mean, they're, they're like, they're like a, a scary machine. And a, a young man's father would have a full-grown eagle, and he would travel with him on horseback, you know, across the Gobi Desert and the steppes of Central Asia uh, in a very, very difficult terrain. And his father would had a like a relationship with this eagle where he would teach it to, to fly and, and, and catch certain animals and take down, you know, like the mountain goats and the foxes and, and deer and different things. And so the young man would be entrusted with a little chick from Eagle at a young age, and he would have to raise this chick and work with it. And these eagles are, you know, just, they're an wild animal, and Genesis 3 happened. They're very resistant towards domestication. And so, nevertheless, by the time he was a teenager, he would have to take his chick that was now a full-grown eagle and proceed out into places like the Gobi Desert and come back with a kill. And once he did that, he was welcomed, in effect, you know, they're always welcome back. They wouldn't kill him or say, sorry, you have to go die in the desert. But he was welcomed back and considered a man, a masculine man, uh, able to be married, be a part of the tribe, a contributor to that local society because he had learned to hunt with an eagle. And it's an incredible, there's still some guys who do it, you know, it's not for survival as much anymore. Uh, you can go on, you can go and look at some videos. It's really an incredible feat and uh, an art. So anyhow, Bracucci. All right, so masculinity and embracing discomfort. Um, obviously, there's no way to say everything that needs to be said about this topic. Um, this is just a brief survey. But uh, let's observe that by way of introduction that unless we're perfected and in glory, uh, we have areas uh, of godliness, areas, there might be areas of obedience in our lives that are uncomfortable, that I, I don't like this, I, I don't want to do this. Um, some of my own personally, things that are still uncomfortable for me to this day, despite the fact that I've done, that, done them, uh, personal evangelism sometimes, you know, like that kind of evangelism uh, is very uncomfortable for me. Um, also for me personally, uh, having to, you know, when, when you see someone's in a pattern of, uh, unbiblical living or thinking, 
and they're not getting out of the pattern, and you said, well, I'm going to pray for them <laughs> in the prayer, and you pray too long for them, that's an area where you might pray too much, and then you have to come alongside them and love them enough in obedience, Matthew 18, 15, Galatians 6, 1, Proverbs 27, 5, to speak to them. Those are areas where I'm still very uncomfortable. Um, I'm also uncomfortable around cats. Uh, I had, at any given time, from 0 to 18 years old, I had 5 to 7 of them living in my house. Uh, so, anyhow. <laughs> um, but I think for, for others of us, all of us as men, could say, you know, we, we have those areas of discomfort. Maybe for you, it's speaking in front of people. Um, for some men, it's letting people get to know them. Uh, building actual biblical friendships. For some professing Christian men, this is very difficult. They keep men at a certain distance, and they what they do is, this is probably a topic for another study, but what they do is they, in a calculated way, organize themselves, their work, their personal life, that there's a, there's a, like a di decent distance between them and other people, just enough to like look spiritual and to say, well, I'm present now and then, but not enough to actually have the kind of necessarily like man-to-man -man relationships that the scriptures would prescribe for us as, as, as healthy and necessary for our walk with the Lord and the glory of God. Um, I don't know, other difficult things for guys to do, what's some that you guys can think of? Um, having, having, a, those, having certain conversations with our wives, if you have a wife. Uh, or memorizing scripture for some guys. That's, I just hear from some guys that is super difficult. What else? Can you think of any things that are real uncomfortable? Areas of, of godliness, righteousness? Yeah. And that's good. That's good, Tyler. Being consistent. Yeah. A long obedience in the same direction, right? It's easy to start something because it's fresh. I haven't been doing it. I haven't, I haven't had a lot of pushback from like life's uh, resistance. It's easy to end something because it's like I'm concluding. What's hard is to keep it going through the middle and stay consistent. But that's where the battles of life are really, are really won. That's where character is really proven. Right? When this 95% of life, I tell my kids this, is just learning to press through and be consistent, as you said, in, in mundanity. That's 95, maybe 96, maybe 97% of life. You know? But if you can do that, like, you're you're doing well by God's grace. That's where true character is formed. Yeah, good. Um, a general recognition, let's kind of continue to dip our toes into this. A general recognition of the importance of embracing discomfort. Um, just some random quotes from different people. Uh, one of my mentors, Irv Busnett, said, there are two types of pain in life, the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. And you choose which one you want. And you will choose one or the other. There's not a third. That's helpful. You know, one of my one of my mentors in seminary, um, Jordan Peterson. He's got some helpful things to say, and you just which shows that you know God's natural light can be stronger than some people. Uh, he says the way that you make people resilient is by voluntarily exposing them to things that they're afraid of and that make them uncomfortable. That's helpful. Um, and he he talks a lot about that. He's got a lot of helpful things to say about like overcoming fears and courage and facing discomfort. Um, Andrew Farabee says, can you imagine yourself in 10 years if instead of avoiding the things you know you should do, you actually did them every single day? What would your life look like? How would your life be different in one year, two years, three years, 10? 
If those harder things that you put off, those things you think, oh, I should do that, you actually made it a habit for the glory of God. And then old Winston Churchill, I like dear Winston. Uh, just a, an incredible figure in history. I'm not saying he should necessarily be imitated in every single one of his attributes. <laughs> but he says, success is not final, failure is not fatal, it is the courage to continue that counts. You have enemies? Good. That means you've stood up for something in your life, facing discomfort. And then he says this, as a proper Englishman should say, the nose of the bulldog has been slanted backwards so that he can breathe without letting go. That's helpful. Right? Facing discomfort. Keeping on, keeping on. Kind of makes me kind of want to get a bulldog. That quote. It's like a word picture every day for this is how I should be living. Um, disclaimer on this study, you know, again, by embracing discomfort, we're not saying things like, you know, what you Luther used to do, whip yourself, starve yourself, unnecessary, unnecessary denial of sleep. Luther used to sleep in the cold. We're not talking about these sort of uh, sinister, you know, self-mutilating things for the sake of personal glory, Luther doing it to atone for his own sin. It's not what we're talking about here. Uh, get enough sleep, eat food, go to the doctor, <laughs> sit on the couch sometimes and relax. <laughs> you know, that, that's, we don't want to overdo it. We don't want to underdo it. We don't want to overdo it. Um, you know, we understand that we don't work hard to do uncomfortable things so that we can earn righteousness or earn our way to heaven. That's not what's being said here. Favor with God and right standing with God is by faith in the person and work of Christ and his uncomfortable, his facing of discomfort, uh, his self-denial. Justification is by faith alone, brothers, in Christ alone, by being united with him as our representative, as we've been studying in Romans 5. Jesus said in Matthew 8, 11, 28, Come to me, in the context of salvation, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, so embracing, as we're talking about this, please don't say, you know, well, that's legalistic, or you're trying to, you know, merit righteousness with God. Please don't say that. We're, we're, we're not, that's not what's being said here. Okay, so well, what is being said? Well, let's talk about a, a biblical versus a worldly view of what it means to embrace discomfort and how that's essential for masculinity, uh, for, for growing as men. Um, so how, how are we, as God's people, to embrace discomfort in a way that would be different than a secular worldview? Because uh, guys like Jordan Peterson and, you know, like ex-military guys, and you, you military guys, by the way, know what it's like to embrace discomfort. Um, but... Like the, the philosophy, the, the thinking, the motivation underneath it differs a bit from the secular worldview, notwithstanding, you know, some of the beneficial outcomes that might happen. Um, so how is this different from like a man-made, a self-help study? Become stronger, you know, just be a better you. How does this differ? Well, there are similarities, again. Um, similar things are produced, like productivity. However, a few things. Number one, we recognize that all wisdom in life, you know, this is what the self-help books kind of forget, all wisdom in life comes from God. Uh, Proverbs 1 through 8 argues this. Uh, Job, I believe, 20, where are you swinging back and forth in the mind? 
I can't remember what chapter is that, Job 24, Job 25, Job 26. All wisdom, he says, comes from God. Anything of righteousness originates in God. And if an unregenerate man happens to pick it up, it's because of God's grace in natural light. General revelation. Two, we recognize that God's word is to instruct and guide us in all and any en en endeavor for a fruitful life. So when we're thinking about this, we're not going to pull just from, you know, Jocko or Jordan Peterson, though those guys have some helpful things to say. We're going to pull uh, preeminently from Scripture. Uh, third, embracing discomfort. This is how it differs from secular thinking in some ways. It's not an end in itself. Sometimes this is put forward to men and sort of popular in some circles right now. Is you know it's it's for its own end. Embrace discomfort for the sake of embracing discomfort. Is that that's not the end for which God created the world. Um, we do it for the glory of God. How is it for the glory of God? We'll look at that. Fourth, um, there are a, a few governing principles for us as men who are in the highly privileged and joyful status of slaveship under the Lord Jesus Christ. So God's grace, number one, as we think about the necessity to embrace discomfort, we start with God's grace. We're saved by grace, and it's God's grace that empowers us, as Tyler said, in this continuing obedience, consistency. Jesus said, without me you can do nothing, John 15, 5. Paul said, I labored more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Every molecule, every neuron, every thought, every good thing we're able to do, it's God's grace. Two, faithfulness. This is a big one, faithfulness. Part of the reason that embracing discomfort becomes a tool in a road traveled in our life is because we seek faithfulness. This is a great departure from the secular worldview. They do it for their own sake. We do it because we're to be faithful. First Corinthians 4.2, Paul said, it's required of a steward. We're all stewards of life. God has given us our, our bodies, our, our time, jobs, resources, other people, family, the body of Christ. That's a stewardship. It is required that a steward be found faithful. Trustworthy is the idea. And 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, we also have, you know, what's your ambition in life? That's people ask you that. Some people say that. What's your ambition? Right here. This is a fine one, 2 Corinthians 5 9. We have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. That's, that's a great ambition in life, to be pleasing to Christ, because, verse 10, the Bemis E judgment, the believer's judgment, this isn't a judgment to see whether or not you go to heaven, but rewards in heaven. What you did with the gifts, skills, resources you had. What did you do? The time. What God gave you. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Again, the theologians call this the Bema seat. Believer's judgment. So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Okay? So come, embracing discomfort when necessary isn't an end for itself, but for faithfulness. With, faced with something where I need to be faithful in life, I might need to make some sort of life change, a relationship change, a, a habit change. Okay, this is going to require discomfort, so I do it. Three, fruitfulness. A governing principle in the Christian life is fruitfulness. I want to have an impact 
with what God has given me and who he has made me to be. I want to do something helpful for his kingdom. We will not be judged at the Bema seat on results. We will on our faithfulness. Nevertheless, we want to be fruitful in life. Uh, if we have roommates, coworkers, friends, we want to have an impact on them. If we have, if we have a wife, if we have other relationships, children, or a church, we want to have something of a positive impact on them and leave a blessing in the spheres in which we exist. Family, work, the body of Christ, neighborhood. That by God's grace, that guy was, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, an aroma of Christ. He did something helpful, and often that will require embracing discomfort. Self-denial, right? Fourth, personal godliness. Uh, we, we seek to embrace discomfort at times, not for self-glory, but sanctification. If there are things in our life that are not yet like Christ, a little syllogism, and number two, right, the flesh opposes godliness, which we all still have if you're un, if, even if you're regenerate, Therefore, we're going to have to embrace discomfort at times, right? Laying aside the, 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 the flesh. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, putting off the old man, putting on the new man. That can be uncomfortable. No, I'm, no, I'm not going to complain about this. Yes, I am going to speak and say something about this, or whatever it is. Paul says, so then my beloved... Philippians 2.12, as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but much more in my absence, integrity, in other words. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Effort. Salvation is monergistic. Only God accomplishes it. Sanctification is synergistic. We work, God works. It's going to require embracing discomfort. God is at work in you. Also, number five, trusting dependence upon the Lord. Embracing discomfort can come down to an issue of trust. When facing discomfort, we, I, I think it's helpful to ask ourselves, ultimately, who am I going to trust in this thing? Or I need to make a change in this area. Or, or I, I need to just, it, maybe it's just a simple thing I need to do today or in the home. Who am I going to trust? I'm going to stick to what's comfortable and trust in myself and the abilities that I know. I, I've seen myself do this. It's, I like it. It's comfortable. I can do this. Or am I going to trust God to make a change? It's an opportunity to walk forward in faith, embracing discomfort is. In these situations, I can trust God that though it's uncomfortable, my, my loving Father will be with me and hold me. So embracing discomfort is a matter of trusting God. Right? Man, I don't, I don't want to have to do this, talk to that person, say this, make this change in the situation. Well, what a great opportunity to realize God's God, I'm not. God's more competent than me. So I can fall into his competence and move forward. That's why, side note but related, that's why the Christian life is called a walk. The life of righteousness, doing what's right, is called a walk. Right? Not a stand. Why is it called a walk and not standing? You're moving forward. 
You, you can't just sit there and complain and you know be ticked about the, the, the hand you've been dealt, notwithstanding how difficult it is at times. We've got to walk forward. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right? If you do nothing, you're getting pulled by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Sin within and sin without. You know? What did Edmund Burke say? You know, for evil to prosper, does good men need to do nothing? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. We move forward. It's a walk. Trusting God with every step. You know? Like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress in the Valley of the Shadow of Death. He said, I as he's in the shadow in the valley, he couldn't even see where he was walking. He just had to, okay, there's one step down. All right, God, help me with the next one. Help me with the next one. Help me with the next one. You know, certain situations in life are like that, embracing discomfort. Sixth, morning, gentlemen. Glad you made it out of being buried down there. On number six, embracing discomfort. One of the benefits of it. What page are we on for uh, Brother Matt and Mr. Owen here? <laughs> page four, gentlemen. Page four. With some notes if you want to hand them back. One of the great benefits, gentlemen, in embracing discomfort, number six, in your notes there, is growth and humility. And this is where, you know, this is where it might, again, this differs from a secular worldview. Growth and humility. How does embracing discomfort, where needed, uh, propagate personal humility? Bridge the gap there. Make the connection. How does embracing discomfort, where needed for faithfulness in the Christian life, propagate personal humility? Make the connection there for us. Yeah. And we all have them, don't we? You know? It shows us our weakness and continue with that line of thought as far as propagating personal humility. Yeah. Exactly. Very good. Exactly. When, you, when you're facing discomfort and you're having to walk through it, I mean, one of the last things you're thinking of is how great you are. You know? Uh, when you get injured or when there's a situation, you're like, this is just going to be a disaster or this is going to be super hard. I mean, you're not boasting in yourself. You're not beating your chest. You're not, you're not, you're not preaching to yourself. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty amazing. You know? You're just not thinking that you've taken that wretched tape off the, off the, the reels and put the better one on. Like God is my, Refuge and strength, the very presence help and uh, stronghold and you know and help help and trouble. Sorry, I need to learn Psalm fifty six one. Um, humility is a command, of course. It's the Puritans used to say it's it's the mother of all virtues, it's the soil in which every other Christian virtue grows. Um, some passages there: First uh, Philippians two, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but the humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Down to verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Younger men likewise, First Peter 5, be subject to your elders and all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So in moments of discomfort, maybe serving in a way, um, 
that is difficult, performing a, a righteous task in which we're unexperienced or unskilled, obeying Christ. We just we don't feel like we're in control. We've been detached from that delusion that, in fact, we are in control. And we're living in the sweet spot of life, dependence on the Lord, which is humility, which is where I need to be. Needy before the Lord and others. That unsure of myself sensation. And men often don't like this. Men often like to feel competent. I know what I'm doing. I, I, I feel comfortable. I can handle this. And that's great if God you know, gives you that. that that's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, he gifts us and skills us, gives us experience. But there are many times in life where we have to jump into something where it's like, oh man, this is, I don't see a path forward. Or this is really hard. You know? Uh, whether it's something like uh, um, a trial in your life. Uh, like I had to do, I had three little girls. I've never been a girl. I never did girl stuff. But playing with my little ponies and my little girls. Oh, that was uncomfortable for me. What do I do with this pony? Like, what do I say? You know, little things like that or, or just major things like having to do church discipline on somebody or stand at, stand at a bedside when someone's dying. You know, those things are just like, whew. I need you right now, Lord. I need you. But that's the sweet spot, isn't it? And that, as we willingly face those in a million other areas of discomfort that you men think of, can think of and face in your own lives, that builds strength in our lives. You get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's much of what uh, cultivates fortitude in the Christian life. And where men need to get out of their comfort zone and learn to be uncomfortable, to grow. Many examples, number four, in Scripture of men who had to embrace. I mean, as I started going through this and, my, and studying for this, it was like every guy in the Bible, every guy who was, was godly and righteous had to face discomfort, and big time. I mean, Noah. Hey, Noah, verse 11, paraphrasing, the whole earth is just monstrously iniquitous. I'm going to trash this place. I made it and I get to. And I'm going to cover it with a deluge like you've never seen. You've never even seen it rain. Watch what I'm about to do. I'm going to scar this earth. We realize that right now, like, oh, the Tetons and, 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 and the Grand Canyon and, you know, the... the uh, the, the canyons like uh, underneath uh, some places where they scuba dive in like Maui and the Great Barrier, so beautiful. But we realize it's all, this is a scarring, right? Think of before the flood. You think this is beautiful and after what God will do. But he tells no, I want you to build this a barge bigger than a football field. 450 feet long, whatever it was. 75, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall, plus or minus. And cover it with pitch and preach to people judgment for a hundred years. <laughs> 2 Peter 2.5 says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. How, how did he survive in that world? I don't know. It was supernatural. He was very uncomfortable. You know, did Noah take classes on like nautical engineering or on like, you know, nautical aero, uh, fluid dynamics? I have no idea, but it was uncomfortable. Abraham. Hey, Abraham, get out of your country. 
from your people, your village, your customs your, you've always known, go, go elsewhere. And I'll, and I'll show you. I'll show you what it's going to be like. Verse 4, so Abraham went forth as Yahweh had spoken to him, and Lot went with, with him. Abraham was 75 years old. Typically when you're 75, you're settling into, you know, I kind of got my familiarities around me. I, I don't want to, like, start something new. Genesis 22, by the way, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and offer him as a burnt offering. Discomfort. Joseph, Genesis 37, 39 to 50. He gets sold by his brothers, chucked in a hole, he, he enters the, he enters the uh, pre-Trans-Saharan Trans -Saharan slave trade, the Northern African slave trade. An, the Ishmaelites just buy and sell, ends up in Egypt, gets accused of rape, which he didn't do, is in and out of jail. He doesn't know if he's going to die one day to the next. And there was always that phrase. It's a fascinating study for men in 39 it says, but Yahweh was with him. And it's like, and he's in jail, but Yahweh was with him. Well, if the Lord was with him, why doesn't he get out of jail and go live a comfy life? Exactly the point. Moses, Exodus 3, therefore come now, Moses, I'll send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I to go to Pharaoh? I mean, that's like telling a guy with a pea shooter and sandals. Cross the Pacific and go overthrow China. Go overthrow Xi Jinping and the CCP. Whatever it is. Who am I? Certainly I'll be with you, God says. Exodus 4, then Moses said to Yahweh, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent. I, I don't know how to talk pretty, in other words, he says. I'm not good at public speaking. Neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant from a slow of speech and slow of tongue. Yahweh said, who's made man's mouth? You know, why, why didn't he say, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Okay, you know, who made your mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you're to say. So notice there in those situations with Noah, with Abraham, with Joseph, with Moses, God doesn't bring him out of the dis discomfort. Instead, what does he do? What does God say? I'll be with you in it, and, and I'm sovereign. I, even I, will be with you. Right? He declares his sovereignty over the particularities of his situation. That might be instructive with us, isn't it? For us, isn't it? As we face our discomfort. It certainly is. David, I mean, his whole life, his whole life is, dis is discomfort. He gets ordained to be king of Israel when he's about, you know, 15-ish. And we, as we studied in our, in our, um, survey of waiting on the Lord. It's another 15 years before he actually ascends the throne. In the meantime, he's, he's like a rat crawling in and out of caves. Darkness being chased 
by the man that's supposed to be discipling and mentoring him. He says in Psalm 55, My heart is in anguish within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling. Can someone give Brother Wilson notes there? I think we're on like page six or seven. Terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. I mean, talk about discomfort. And David's a, you know, he's a competent guy. He's killing bears and lions in hand-to-hand -hand combat as, as like a young teenager. You know, that, that happened as he's guarding his father's sheep. And he says, terror, horror has overwhelmed me. As he's talking about, go down to verse 12. For it's not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me who's exalted himself against me, then I can hide myself from him. But it's you, it's you a man, my equal, my companion, and my familiar friend. Betrayal. Not just people who oppose you, but being betrayed. Few things are more uncomfortable in body and soul than that. Betrayal. And David faced it. And guess what? God squeezes him like a towel, and the juice that comes out of David are the Psalms. Oh, man. Does it have to be that way? Jeremiah. Oh, my goodness, this guy. Uh, you study his life, 52 chapters, 52, 51 chapters in the Bible. One of the longest books in the whole Bible is a doom and gloom. So uncomfortable. The uncomfort, the discomfort of constantly having to go to the king and saying, you're going down and the whole nation with you. And then, <laughs> chapter 38, verse 6, Then they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malkijah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guardhouse. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. Now in the cistern there was no water, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank into the mud. This is his life, over and over. Of course, he writes Lamentations. Lamentations, that that key section, that bright but dark section, Lamentation 3, 37 to 39. It's good for a young man. It's good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Let him put his face in the dirt. Perhaps there is hope for him. Why should any mortal offer complaint in view of his sins? Let him turn to the Lord. Perhaps there is hope. <laughs> wow. Paul, the Apostle Paul. Embracing discomfort. Philippians 1.12 I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Part of the reason Paul writes Philippians is to encourage the church, hey, my situation that you are alarmed about, this radical discomfort, God is actually sovereignly using it for the progress of the gospel. You know, Paul gets wrung out like a towel, and we get the prison epistles, and the gospel goes, goes forward in impossible circumstances. Embracing discomfort, gentlemen. Acts 20, verse 24. I do not, look at this verse here, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course into the ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, I've come discomfort, come one, come all. It's for the gospel. 
2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'll rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content. We typically think of content. We think of sitting in our sweatpants. Christmas Day evening, eating our chocolates, watching the game, enjoying presents, relaxing with a full gut. Paul says, I'm well content with weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. 2 Timothy verse tw- uh, one twelve. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believe, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day, and in other words, his life. 2.23, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then, of course, our blessed the prototypical life, knew what it was like to embrace discomfort in the Garden of Gethsemane, one of many. I mean, first of all, even before that, Philippians 2.6, you know? Where it says he laid aside, laid aside his earthly prerogatives, excuse me, his, his divine prerogatives, made in the likeness of men. I mean, I think it'd be uncomfortable, like, if you're used to heaven and being the center of worship, if you're the second person of the Trinity, and then coming down to this just Genesis 3 world, it'd be uncomfortable to, like, make that transition. You know? Have you spent time in, in like, very difficult parts? Have you been to the very difficult parts of Baltimore before? To the trash, to the just trashed parts of Baltimore? You go from, like, Jackson to there. On a ministry trip I did that once, it was like, whoa. My first thought was not, I want to spend a lot of time hanging out here. You know, I'd be killed. Uh, and, and Christ exits heaven. The glories of heaven to come to here. That's embracing discomfort. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, there, 37, he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, uh, John's and John and James, and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. What would that be like to be so grieved you feel like you're going to die? Actually, Christ wasn't given to uh, exaggeration. What kind of discomfort is that? Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face. I mean, God incarnate falls down on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. That's the fundamental spot of embracing discomfort. Not as I will, but as you will. Not what I want to do, God, but what your word tells me to do. And then, of course, 27, 27 to 35, the cross. The soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him. After twisting a scar, you know, I mean, being stripped in front of these guards. Crown of thorns, these huge, like, three-inch thorns. Put it on his head, a reed in his right hand. They knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him, and the irony in this passage is just through the roof. Took the reed, began to beat him on the head. I've gotten clocked in the face a few times in my life, and I mean, it hurts. I got, I got uppercutted once uh, in a club in downtown Paris. Like, and that just hurts. 
And the Lord just took it over and over, not because he was doing something stupid like being in a club in Paris, because he loved us and was dying on the cross for our sins. What a great God. What a great Savior he is, worthy of our worship. They took the scarlet robe, put his own garments back on him, and led him away to crucify him. As they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, and they pressed him. And I mean, imagine being that guy. That was uncomfortable. You just get yanked out of the crowd. You were, you know, carry this cross. Are you? Oh, are you going to crucify me too? I mean, the Romans were just. The cross was heavy, probably two hundred pounds. Jesus couldn't do it. Now, it was a choosing couldn't in the hypostatic union, right? <laughs> the mystery of Philippians 2.6. And when he began, uh, excuse me, when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means a place of school, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall. And after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. When they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. Uh, the physical, of course, discomfort of the crucifixion, but far more the spiritual discomfort of bearing your wrath, bearing what otherwise would take you and me, eternity in hell. What was that like? He embraced discomfort. He said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Number five. So let's move into some of the more practicalities of this. Not that that isn't practical. Um, the flesh... And the need to embrace a measure of discomfort. So flesh, we're talking about our fallen nature. As we, you know, it's funny, as we look at Scripture, it's funny to see what Scripture doesn't say. What God doesn't put in His Word is helpful and instructive on life. In other words, for example, God doesn't say, Hey, you know what? Would you not be so faithful to God? Hey, be careful about living in a way that's too pleasing to God. That's overdoing it. Don't overdo diligence to the Lord. There's no verse like that. Oh, don't be so hard on yourself. You're a great guy. There's, there's no verse like that. Uh, so that's helpful as it pertains to embracing discomfort. Now, on balance... We may need to, at times, be careful about overdoing it, but not in being faithful to God. You know, some of us, if you're the secular term, a workaholic or whatever it is, other areas of life, you might be neglecting faithfulness in other areas. You know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, as the saying goes. Um, personally, I, I'm not good at, like, sitting down, you know, resting, and, and even to my shame, like just hanging out and sitting with my family, just sitting on the couch. I, I got to be like moving in gear, you know, doing something. Um, and so for me, part of embracing discomfort is like sitting down and being okay with not doing something at times. My wife, just having a conversation. Uh, just to balance that out, right? Resist the urge to scurry. So anyhow, more to the point. Letter A here. The presence of our sin nature suggests, um, I'm going to look at about four or five points in here. The presence of our sin nature suggests the need to embrace discomfort. 
uh, time flies. So that's our proposition, and let's back it up with three statements. My very nature seeks, seeks and favors sin, even as a regenerate person. A couple of scriptures there to justify that. Paul and his testimony, Romans 7.18, and Galatians 5.16-17. to 17, The flesh and the spirit are duking it out in the soul of a regenerate person until glory. Therefore, we could kind of create a little syllogism here. What feels right will often be that which originates from my fallen nature. Since this is still in my nature, the flesh, what feels right will often be wrong, fallen, sinful. Therefore, I'll often have to go against impulses and thoughts and desires despite a good feeling. And that is so helpful in life. You know, you, you've heard the unfortunate Christian phrase that's like the, the, the card that no one can rebuke to justify a sinful thought or action. Namely, I have a what about it. I have a peace about it. Yeah, people have said that about un, unbiblical divorce. I have a peace about it. I, I have a peace about this sinful relationship with this woman. Well, you might, but God doesn't. And often... What is an indicator that we're walking in righteousness is I have a war about it. This is hard. I don't want to do this. Well, Galatians 5, 16 to 17. And there's therefore, we have to embrace discomfort at times. And because God is so good, as we do that, we get stronger in the faith. Faith, in a sense, is a muscle that's built through use and stretching and force. And it can atrophy. When I... Fallen, fallen to the gutter of, I have a peace about this. This feels right. I, I wish those songs didn't exist. You know, follow your heart. Look inside you. I mean, how much money has been made off songs that just, they just repeat each other on those goofy lyrics? Deny ourselves. Take up your cross. And follow him. Well, we're out of time, gentlemen. Um, we have several more things to talk about. Embracing discomfort and strength for this Genesis 3 world. Um, embracing discomfort and various books of the Bible. But we'll leave it there and continue next week, Lord willing. Father in heaven, thank you. That you are with us. We know we can't do anything without Christ. Thank you that we are with us always, even till the end of the age. Help us, help me, help, me, help my brothers here to face faithfulness and embrace discomfort where needed. Even today, even this week as we're facing things, help us, O oh God, by your strength, to victoriously face discomfort. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.